Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Helen Odesky. Dr. Odesky is a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in the area of Chicago. She has training in cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy. In the past decade, she has helped numerous individuals break the cycle of panic and anxiety and is the author of the book, Stop Anxiety from Stopping You, the breakthrough program for conquering panic and social anxiety. And now, here is our guest, Dr. Helen Odesky, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. Is there any connection between anger and anxiety that you have seen? Sometimes there's a, there is a connection. A lot of times there's connection, actually, the opposite of what people think. So it's not that anger causes anxiety. It's a, sometimes people uh, don't express things they need to express. And so it's this unexpressed anger that might cause feelings of anxiety or depression, depending on the person. So it's really, it's avoiding dealing maybe with something that's a, uh, a topic that is very stressful. Like maybe the death of a love, the, the impending death of a loved one, or mm-hmm. just how difficult it is to see them be sick or to go through whatever situations they go through. Yeah, or to deal with other family members that may not be putting in their fair share of things to uh, to feel like things are you know a little bit out of proportion or sometimes you, you know your resources aren't there to deal with with it yeah absolutely thank you that's that's really great information to have why is targeting the symptoms so important in order to manage panic and anxiety in your opinion it's yeah. probably obvious so- but <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, you know, people like to go for underlying causes. It sounds fun, exciting, sophisticated, but really, we don't know what the underlying causes are a lot of the time. Sometimes things develop out of the blue, like panic attacks a lot of the times come out of the blue. There aren't any underlying causes. People can get anxiety when things are going very well. It's often after the crisis passes that people go, well, I don't know, everything is going okay now, right? So I think we we really have to look at symptom management as our goal, because that is the target. And often after the symptoms resolve, that's when people go, oh, now I get why things were, were sort of going to, uh, coming to a head or getting so intense for me. So when we look at symptom management, we really look at getting somebody's life back on track. And so that's what we're after. Anxiety makes your life smaller. So my example earlier was with panic attacks, similar things can happen with social anxiety, right? You might feel anxious in social situations, so your circle starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so what happens? Well, that creates more anxiety, and then it creates a vicious circle where now you feel depressed, and so you feel, you feel less like going out of the house, right? So we've got to start looking at symptoms as hey, these are important red flags that we need to address. They're not going to go away on their own. And they're also not things that you're going to think your way out of. So people people focus too much on insight, like wanting to understand why before you resolve something. A lot of times that understanding will come after the fact. Now, like insight follows change. And so a lot of times when we change something, then after the fact, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. we can look back and say, oh, now this makes a lot of sense to me but we can't really see it at the time. And that's okay. 
Because you can make changes without having the insight and without knowing exactly why. Correct. And one very powerful thing as well is that when you make those environmental, sometimes environmental changes, and you see changes in your symptoms, it's more objective. You can actually see a measure what happened, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something recent I read had to do with um, intuition and how usually we are we rely on our intuition to figure out, engage sort of where we're at, why things are happening and what's going on. And that they've actually done studies with people who struggle with depression and anxiety, and that both of those things affect your sense of intuition to where you feel like you can't really count on it and that your gut feelings are off. Um, and I think that's very true. So to, to really go back and try to ask your gut that's, that's off what's going on, I think is, is a very unsettling experience because it doesn't help, but to have a framework of, okay, this is how I manage my symptoms. And eventually my gut feelings are going to, they're going to recalibrate and to just trust that. I think offers a path out of that. Wonderful. So what you've done is you've defined the problem. You then have given a few recommendations of how to recognize symptoms that are related to it. And then you are saying that next we need to find ways to change either the environment or whatever it takes so we address mm -hmm. the symptoms and hopefully get changed. And for that, you're going to need what you call an action plan, correct? Yes. So talk to us about the action plan a little bit. Okay. So action plan has to do with how do you implement the changes, right? It's similar if we were going to start um, focusing on our physical well-being. We'd look at diet and exercise, and then we'd look at, okay, what are the actual things we're going to change? So we're going to have a salad instead of a hamburger for lunch, or we're going to go to the gym instead of sitting on the couch for 30 minutes every day. So what that has to do psychologically is what are the actual changes you're going to implement? So in the example of panic attacks, so um, a couple things that people will start avoiding when they have panic attacks. One is travel. So a lot of people feel very unsettled if they're traveling and they're either away from home or they're somewhere where they feel like if they have a panic attack, they won't be able to get help. So a lot of times this happens on crowded freeways, trains, airplanes, you name it. So what happens is people start avoiding driving. We got to get people back into driving, getting on that bus, getting on the train, right? If you're afraid of social situations and you're avoiding things, community meetings, your church group, if you're avoiding social get-togethers, going to your friend's birthdays, right, family reunions, things that are connecting you, we got to get you back. So what are the social situations that you're going to engage in? If, in the standpoint of like from physical sensation, some people even cut out exercise because it reminds them of the physical arousal of having rapid breathing, right? So if you're avoiding the gym, if you're avoiding running, if you're avoiding things like that, then we want to get you back there, right? So we really want to look at, okay, what are you avoiding and what are some steps you could take, however small, to get back there, right? So if you're avoiding the gym, the first step might not be to get to the gym. The first step might be, okay, let's get you dressed and in the gym parking lot, in gym clothes, Right? Let's get you dressed in the gym parking lot and gym clothes looking at the machines. Let's get you on the treadmill without turning the treadmill on. Let's get you on the treadmill walking really, really slowly, right? Like let's speed up a little bit. How do we how do we get to that goal? How do we approximate those things so together we get slowly 
back to what you're ready to do and what you need to be doing. So a lot of times we want to exaggerate that. So we want to exaggerate the physical sensations and the breathlessness. And that can be very helpful because those things are not harmful. Our bodies were meant to do that. Um, it, with social situations, will uh, which uh, will often go with fears of embarrassment, we will want to amplify those fears of embarrassment. We want to amplify. We'll run experiments where we will purposefully cause situations that draw negative attention to ourselves. We will spill things. We will make errors when we order things at Starbucks. We will start. Um, we will dress funny. Like we'll dress like we have tattered clothes and we'll go into high-end stores and ask for help. We will uh, forget our change at the cash register and ask the cashier to put all the items back. We'll go and ask for embarrassing items at a store. So lots of things that will really trigger the opposite of, uh, of what we want to be doing, but that's needed to get better and to get back on track. So the action plan would entail a graded approach in other words, mm -hmm. slowly getting to what that thing that is causing or uh, is yep. creating the problem for you, or simply what you would call exposure training, right? Just yes. do it, correct? Just do it yes. and, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway, <laughs> right? Yes, and, and don't try to reduce your anxiety in any way as you're doing that right? Have that sensation. And it's it, yes for graded. Although I've had clients who said, you know what? I don't want to go the slow way. I want to go faster. So let's bring on the sensations. Let's do the exposures that are really scary. And I really let the clients guide me there. So if you feel like, okay, you haven't been to the gym, but you don't want to go to the parking lot. You want to get back on that treadmill. Great. Get back on the treadmill. And once you're there, what's the worst thing that happened? Correct? Well, the worst thing that'll happen is what's happening already right? So you're already living it. So it's unlikely that the worst thing will happen. You'll have the sensation. So for caregivers, it's interesting mm -hmm. that you mentioned the example of the travel, because I think for caregivers, that's a huge one for mm -hmm. them to be able to actually go anywhere away from the person they care for without being concerned or quote unquote anxious that mm -hmm. some, something is going to happen to that person or Whoever is taking care of that person is not going to do as good of a job as they do. And so therefore yep. something can occur. For a situation like that, would you say that it would take a lot of self-talk at that point? Or what would you recommend? This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break. And we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. 
you owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. It's interesting that you mentioned the example of the travel, because I think for caregivers, that's a huge one. For them to be able to actually go anywhere away from the person they care for without being concerned or quote-unquote anxious that Mm -hmm. something is going to happen to that person or whoever is taking care of that person is not going to do as good of a job as they do. And so therefore something can occur. For a situation like that, would you say that it would take a lot of self-talk at that point? Or what would you recommend? Yeah, I I think we've got to give up the rescuer fallacy, right? That's what I call it, that um, you know, you, you can, you can get someone else to watch the person and no, they will not be you, but uh, however, you're not the only person that can do this job. Right? People all over the world are caregivers. They're not all the same and yet they do the job. And yes, we love the people that we take care of. And at the same time, we have to recharge and we sometimes need to be, or want to be out of town and that's okay. So it's really dealing with the guilt. Like it's okay for you to take this time away. And other people are going to be able to do this job, but you're never going to trust that unless you actually leave, True. right? Because it'll, it'll always feel like no one else can do it. Like you could do it. Correct. And how would you find out, right? You would never find out. So that's, that's another thing that, that I'm a big proponent of. Let's run these experiments. Let's test it out. Correct. And so in your action plan, you encourage that exposure training. What else would you, and and basically it seems like it's a very powerful and very important part of it. What are some Mm -hmm. other things that you usually recommend for an action plan? So we want to have it be really consistent. So I prefer that you do things every day versus once a week in a marathon. I prefer that you that you do what I call stacking the exposure. So do three things a day rather than do one thing. The one thing doesn't work out, but the other two do. You feel like you're still maintaining traction, right? So look at how you're talking to yourself, right? Disengage from the negative self-talk. Engage in, in positive self-talk engage in things that ground you find some way to approach the thing that you're afraid of every day i think that's key when we think about exposures all right the more we do exposures the more we approach the things that we're afraid of the better we become at mastering them it's like a new language if you practice it every day you're going to get good if it's something you do once a week you probably will be you know, well, you'll know a couple words. I <laughs> but know that's you'll for never sure. feel like mastered. <laughs> so they're trying to learn Chinese. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. You work with several caregivers. Yeah. I'm curious, what is the greatest complaint that they come to you with? What do you find to be the most useful recommendation that you can give 
the caregivers yeah. you work with? Uh, usually the greatest complaint is I don't know what the future is going to look like in some form, you know, down the line. I don't know what's going to happen if or when, right? If it's parents of a child with disabilities, it's, well, I don't know what's going to happen when um, they grow up and have to function independently or what kind of a job they're going to get or what happens when I pass on, how are they going to take care of themselves? If it's um, caregivers of somebody that's elderly, well, what's going to happen when, when and if their health gets worse um, and it becomes more time consuming, uh, those types of things. Uh, so the the recommendation that helps the most is really to refocus on what is happening now. Because we're, we're lousy at predicting the future, all of us. Otherwise, we'd all play the lottery and win. So what happens is we worry about things that don't happen. And the things that happen to us that are negative are usually things we forgot to worry about. So <laughs> because of that truism, what happens is we are better off focusing on the things that we need to deal with, which is maybe, you know, let's set up a schedule for you. Let's set up some, uh, some take, uh, self-care time for you. Let's set up some ways that you're going to deal with a difficult conversation or a difficult situation. And those, what ifs you relegate to looking at them when there's absolutely nothing else for you to ever do or think about, right? Which doesn't happen. So they just become things that we don't attend to. So it's always look at what is, not what if. Yeah, it's realistic to look at the future periodically and say, how are we doing? Do we need to come up with a plan for next year or a few years from now? But if it's an actionable plan, that's when it's helpful and healthy. If it's something, what if, and then it, it spins into this huge worry that's when you realize, okay, we've got to backtrack and get to what is. Is this an actionable situation or is this just a worry? No one's good at solving these hypothetical worries, so don't worry if you're not doing a good job there. No one does. I think that is absolutely fantastic. That I think that is powerful advice to live in the present because for caregivers, like you said, that is truly the biggest issue what's going to happen. And that is spectrum that goes from one end to the other, not including the things you just said. And in addition, some of the caregivers that are taking care of their parents, they're not working, but yet they have no retirement. What's going to happen after this person is gone? You know, how am I going to take care of myself? There's so many unanswered questions. So to live in the present... Is mm -hmm. about the only way because you truly have no control over so many circumstances and you have to let go and just breathe in. That situation is okay to breathe in. Yep. <laughs> to yep. Breathe, breathe in, in. and exhale and yep. just take one step at a time. Yeah, exactly. Do you find that caregivers are more reluctant to listen to the advice or have more difficulties putting your advice into application than other populations or not really? I really don't. I find that caregivers uh, are reluctant to sometimes go in and get help, but once they uh, once they get the advice, they're they're happy to put it into action. It, it's going in and making that time for yourself and and giving yourself that space and telling yourself that you're important enough and that it matters. That's the step that that's missing a lot of the time. Thank you so much, Doctor Odusky. This is powerful information. Now, you've given us 
tips defining what panic and anxiety is. You're an expert at this. When we talked, you told me that this has not come out of just nowhere. You actually have done some of this stuff yourself and seen success, correct? Yes, absolutely. So you've given us the definitions, you've told us recommendations on things that Mm -hmm. people can do in order to develop an action plan. And then to break that habit, I think, is another very important thing. What do you recommend for that? Because you can have an action plan all you want, but some people really have difficulties breaking the habits that they've been used to all their yeah. Um, so, so the thing I find a lot is people come, come with me and they go, well, I've just got to get motivated. And that is the biggest myth out there is that you've got to get motivated. Um, motivation is really not correlated with positive change. So you talking yourself into getting motivated is taking away energy that you could be using to get better. So get active rather than motivated. So Start, however imperfectly, is my biggest suggestion. Uh, Sitting and wishing that you were motivated or talking to yourself um, in inspiring ways and getting inspired is, uh, I find, a lot of wasted time. So no one is going to get better if they're only doing it when motivation strikes. We're going to get better with consistency. And so... The first step is is usually something I say, let's schedule this. Like, when are you going to do this? Let's put this on your calendar, set an alert on your phone, on your watch somewhere, set an alarm, do it, put it somewhere, put a sticky note by your bed, by your mirror, get it, get started. This works That's for everything, trick. right? <laughs> yes, this works for absolutely everything. Whatever, whatever habit, because what we're doing is we're building habits. Whatever habit you're going to build, you've got to practice it. Practice makes better. And so the first step is often the hardest, but then you've got to put it in consistently. So that's where I say motivation doesn't really work because we're only motivated in the beginning. Then it becomes boring and routine. And then we go, well, I got to do this again. What? (laughs) Just taking action, just, just keeping it consistent. So we're, um, whatever that you're doing, Um, If you're inspired, great. If you're uninspired, do it anyway. Do it uninspired. Take it um, on faith, right? That even uninspired, you might be able to get something out of it. And truly just like taking one step at a time to walk. Just take that one step Mm -hmm. and see what happens. Yep. Let's see what happens. Let's run this experiment. Let's run it 10 times to see what I get out of 10 times of doing it. Let's run it 20 times. Let's run run it 30 times. Not stepping is not an option. Exactly. Exactly. Because then it becomes non-living and we want to get engaged. We want it. We want to enact a feeling of joy, of purpose, of meaning, right? That's where we're all trying to get to. Backing away, avoiding robs us of all of that, of all the goodies that we could get. Anything that you could do to just get get moving. Just get moving. Just do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However small. Yeah. If you need to get like a Nike symbol in front of you, that's just do it. I was going to say. Perfect. There you go. That's a commercial right there. Exactly. Thank you for those wonderful, encouraging, and motivating words. That, That is great advice. I always ask my authors to give the listeners one thing 
that's the most powerful and important thing that they can at least remember from this conversation. If you had to give a gem for them to keep, what would that gem be for them? You can overcome anxiety. You you don't have to live this way and small steps matter. Dr. Desky, you are a wealth of knowledge in this field and I am so thankful that you came to spend time with us. So what I'd like you to do here as we end is for you to tell the listeners how they can get a hold of your book and if they have questions for you, how they mm-hmm. can get a hold of you as well. Now, you have a very fancy website. It looks like you should be doing TV programs. <laughs> Is that something coming up somewhere down the road? Um, I, I, I've done a couple of TV interviews. Um, I um, The way to, to find my book, my book is called Stop Anxiety from Stopping You. It's available on Amazon.com and all the major uh, book retailers in your area. You, um, if, if you want to get in touch with me, a great way to do that is to, um, you can contact me, um, at Dr. Helen at your Chicago therapist.com. That's D R H E L E N at Y O U R C H I C A G O, uh, T H E R A P I S T.com. And if, if you want to follow me, feel free to follow me on social media at Dr. Helen Odesky. And you can do that on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Um, and of course, I, I would love to hear from you. And uh, no matter where you buy the book, if you want to write a review on Amazon, that helps spread the word. Thank you so much, Dr. Odesky. And I have the feeling this is only going to be the first of many books coming in the future. And I want to, ahead of time, invite you to come back and speak to us again whenever you have the opportunity or you have another book. Please feel free to consider Lifestyle Improvement a part of your family. So come back to join us. Thank you. I would love to do that. And we just had Dr. Helen Odesky. She is the author of the book, Stop Anxiety from Stopping You, the breakthrough program for conquering panic and social anxiety. And you can get this book in Amazon.com. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Helen Odesky. Dr. Odesky is a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in the area of Chicago. She has training in cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy. In the past decade, she has helped numerous individuals break the cycle of panic and anxiety and is the author of the book, Stop Anxiety from Stopping You, the breakthrough program for conquering panic and social anxiety. And don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again for more tips on lifestyle improvement.